definitely have to talk about the TNA voiceover guy, who's just like a little bit too much. <laughs> and and was really having a bad day that time because he mispronounced at least two words. You're listening to Contesting Wrestling, the podcast where we talk about the things that fans love and that other people can't stand. About the world's most prominent form of simulated combat, my name is Evan Burke. I do a host of things. A behost. Uh, a behost of stuff. Uh-oh, we're being invaded by a just, dog. Just like... Andre the Giant is not afraid of anything. Uh, he Pepper. did say that once. All right. Pepper, go out. No, no dogs. No dogs on the podcast. No Sorry, dogs on okay. the podcast. I mean, if you could, like, bark rhythmically or something in an entertaining way, we'd go for it. Yeah, but. yeah. If there was a way that you could contribute to the podcast in a meaningful way, aside from just your adorableness. Um, but anyway. Pepper, go. Uh, go. Today... Go. This episode, I don't know, we're somewhere, we're in the teens now, comfortably, I think. And today is part of our effort to, um, we want to we cover more matches and expose... And is anyone ever comfortably in their teens? No, good <laughs> God, I certainly wasn't. That's, that's deep, man. Yeah, if you have a good time in your teens, man, your life's going to not be great, I would imagine, right? I mean, I think I had a good time, but I wouldn't say it was comfortable. No, oh, yeah, I, I guess that's a, good, that's a good comparison. I had a great time while also ha- living through a, a roiling ocean of internal pain and chaos. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of a roiling ocean of internal pain and chaos, this episode we are focusing on... On total non-stop action wrestling, TNA. Well, yeah, and so but what I was oh, trying to boy. say earlier is, you know, we're trying to do more matches that you can just go fucking find on YouTube so nobody has to <laughs> give money to the WWE and also listen to us. Well, well you, I mean, TNA has their own app. That being said, a lot of their stuff they did just put on YouTube. And, you know, we had already covered some, like, really, really bad TNA moments. It's so easy. It's so easy. They're known for them. Um, But I thought it was time to do a full treatment of both the best and the worst of TNA, to be fair. And there really are some shining great moments, including our good match, for today, which is from TNA Unbreakable 2005. It is the X Division Championship three-way dance between Samoa Joe, the fallen angel Christopher Daniels, who was the champion at the time at the beginning of the match, and the phenomenal AJ Styles. For those of you keeping track at home, I have some big news, because I would say this is at least tied with... Eddie Ray for my favorite match we have watched so far. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, I, I I will say that I really I guess I would have to like watch the two of them again back to back to like really make a judgment. But I uh, I was fu- I got up this morning. I got up early. I went through my normal morning routine. I put this on and I was fucking thrilled the whole time. I thought these three guys all had really distinct interesting personalities and styles i thought they worked beautifully well together i thought they pulled off a bunch of really complex choreographed stuff that looked like they were fighting um i feel like much like a marriage you know three people is a lot more complicated but ultimately a lot more rewarding and more people should do it um this was uh just about a month before the Joe versus Kobashi match that we covered on a previous episode. So really in Samoa Joe's prime as an indie wrestler, I think he hasn't quite uh, reached his prime in the WWE yet. Uh, now, um, AJ Styles, I think in a lot of ways is much better as an all around performer now than he was then. But him and Joe and also Daniels at the time were just at the peak of their Total nonstop action I, the, style of wrestling. The action was filled with totality. 
and did not stop at any point, the, the, I have to say. The style that had been developed in the American Indies in the early 2000s, you know, very much a reaction of the closing of WCW and ECW, where all of a sudden all the talented guys that couldn't make it into the WWE could do whatever they wanted at indie shows. Yeah, so in, in a lot of ways, this match sort of tells the early history of two pro wrestling companies. On the one hand, there's TNA, which started out as NWA TNA, We'll talk about what that means in a little bit. And Ring of Honor. And these two companies both formed, as Doc said, after the demise um, of WCW and ECW having been absorbed into the WWE. There was a whole bunch of talent, uh, some of whom had actually signed to WCW right before uh, the buyout, um, like AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels who didn't really get to do much in WCW before it folded. Yeah, AJ Styles had just started to be featured at the bottom of the card. He was in the Cruiserweight Tag Team title tournament, a highlight of the very end of Nitro. So there were these two very different companies that formed. I wonder what uh, happened to Air Paris. That was AJ's tag partner. Yeah, I don't beats know. Beats me. There you go. Um, so... On the one hand, there was NWA TNA, which was in many ways the spiritual successor to WCW. Like WCW, there was this association with the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, which originally was just the network of territories in American pro wrestling before the rise of the WWF. That was the National Wrestling Alliance. They had the world champion. Uh, until the WWF crowned their own world champion. And then there were two, and then the AWA had their own. But that NWA title, the so-called 10 Pounds of Gold, um, has survived through a, lot, through a tumultuous history. So the NWA um, ended up sort of... Uh, WCW World Championship Wrestling was the, NWA, was the NWA's flagship television show. But eventually, uh, it was run by Ted Turner, and Turner ended up buying the wrestling company, but not the NWA brand. And eventually, the NWA became detached from WCW, and still survived as this like small network of indie promotions. Uh, TNA was just one of those promotions that um, had this weekly pay-per-view deal. Um, and I'll talk about a little bit about how that happened. But the NWA to me is kind of like like the British royal family in a way where they were this empire. They no longer are, but they still survived. And because they have the association with the empire, they're still seen as sort of important. And there's a lot of wrestling fans who are like, why are we paying for this when we could be paying for schools? And and, and then other well, people are like, well, it's a big part of the tourism and the only reason that anybody would come here because it's just pretty much this in the baking show at this point in time. Uh, TNA was the next of a few leagues that had the NWA title on their show and then eventually stopped using the NWA title for largely those reasons because they were like, we don't need this brand on our brand. So it was ECW did the same thing early in their days. So it was TNA um, because they're in Florida, right? Yes. They, they, they started in Georgia. They started in Nashville. Oh, that's right. They started in Nashville. And then, but very quickly, they moved to Orlando and taped every episode of TNA Impact at the Impact Zone at Universal Studios on one of their sound stages. The NWA now is in Atlanta, Georgia, and they have this great TV show, NWA Power. Yes, which yeah. you, um, you guys have been saying that if I'm going to start watching, yeah. that I, you know, that I should start watching a wrestling serial. We've been suggesting that one. Uh, luckily, I'm probably about to be unemployed, so guess who's going to watch way more shit for this podcast? That's I'm not doing. sure you're going to like NWA Power. We'll see. I think that if you don't like it after, like, not a lot, after two episodes, just we just scrap it, because I don't want you yeah. to start watching a serial and just hate it the sure, whole sure. time, if, if the idea is for you to know what that's like. Actually, having watched three episodes myself... I think starting with the third episode, you might start to like it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, hey, this is true for a lot of sitcoms, right? Yeah, most, yeah. you know, almost every almost every great sitcom, well, the single worst episode is the pilot. Well, these shows are one hour long, not three, so you can get through a few of them pretty quickly and make that decision. How has AEW been? 
Good. I've enjoyed it. I've it hasn't been perfect. Oh, I've been, been watching good. it sporadically, uh, in bits yeah. and pieces. I've been I've been catching the whole show every week and and dark. They have a lot of good stuff. They have a lot of places that do need improvement, but the best parts of their show I think are a lot better than the best parts of the WWE show right now. Um so with TNA, were they like the so they're now in Orlando. Were they originally like were they uh, the the Florida fiefdom? Well, like no, that was well, their they, as as Doc uh, corrected me. Uh, they started in Nashville. Oh right, right. So right. they were the brainchild of Jeff Jarrett and his father Jerry Jarrett, who is a longtime promoter in the Mid South region of wrestling in the territory days. Don't care for the J count in this family. Carry on. <laughs> right, um, and the a- R and T count as well. Yeah, la- yeah, yeah. Too many, too many of the same consonants. When Jeff Jarrett first debuted in WWF, he would point out that you spell his name J A J E double F J A double R E double T. That's double J. Jeff Jarrett, the world's greatest wrestler, the world's greatest singer, the world's greatest entertainer. I think in a different order, actually. I think he said entertainer, singer, and wrestler. Yeah. There so go. he was a used car salesman making ads, and that was his. J- his promos character. were very used car salesman esque. Like Jeff Jarrett's the kind of guy who always knew how to get heat. His original run of uh, vignettes before his WWF entrance are just. By the time he got on screen, like me as a kid, wanted someone to come along and punch him right in the face. You know, I got just quick side note. Yeah. This is a. Uh, seemingly outdated cultural archetype the used car salesman <laughs> i have a cousin who's my age who sold used cars for a while who fucking is totally this guy like <laughs> this great. is this still exists now jared it seems like the sort of ultimate overachiever uh because you know there's just nothing particularly compelling about him but he's been champion many times in several different companies he's run his own wrestling company a couple of them um but, you know, he really does seem to understand the business pretty well, to some extent at least. And to his credit, he was the guy who was willing to put over China for the Intercontinental Championship. Well, all right. Hey, credit where credit is due. Um, so so the Jarrett's and this guy, Bob Ryder, apparently had this fishing trip. And Bob Ryder was like, hey, you know, it's really hard to get a TV deal these days. What if we had a wrestling company that was not dependent on having a TV deal and um, we just went straight to pay-per-view and just did these short weekly pay-per-views? And that was the original idea of NWA TNA. It didn't work. They was, were losing so much money on a weekly basis. It was ridiculous. That sound, I was going to say that sounds like a terrible idea. But they got a TV deal eventually uh, out of okay. it. They were also booked at a couple of times in their history by Vince Russo, who is infamous. Uh, he's, I mean, he's known for actually writing WWF TV at the height of the Attitude Era when it was most popular and also at the beginning of the Attitude Era and to some degree uh, helping to engineer the shift from the earlier era into the Attitude Era, but he's become better known for his time in WCW and TNA writing the most nonsensical, ridiculous crap that has ever happened in wrestling. Fans of Vince Russo will point out that he he's the best when he has... Uh, it was, his writing was good in the WWF because he had Vince McMahon. He would throw out his ridiculous ideas and Vince would process them, change them, edit them properly... Tell everything that was completely ridiculous that it wasn't going to happen and then put it on the show. In TNA, he would just they would just let him do the stupidest stuff he could come up with. So his term for his style of booking is crash TV. You just do the most surprising thing at every point to try and keep the interest of your viewers. So um, at the same time, just about the exact same time, really, that NWA TNA was taking off. Uh, Ring of Honor formed and Ring of Honor had a very different business model that w- was similar in that it didn't rely on TV um, but Ring of Honor was more started out more as a live product uh, they would fly in wrestlers from all over the country independent wrestlers and some from overseas as well some from Mexico some from Japan um, and then they would release DVDs 
VHSs in the early days of Ring of VHSs at first through the RF video company run by Rob Feinstein, which was the video company that produced all of ECW's videos. Now, this worked very well for both Ring of Honor and TNA. You know, the wrestlers would get exposure through these pay-per-views for the few people who were watching them. That would... um, create more interest in them for these live shows was for Ring, Ring of Honor. Was Ring of Honor pretty much just in the Northeast, or were they... Yeah. They, they were, at first, they were only in Philadelphia. Uh, then they, they uh, did a, a show in Delaware. Um, they did what I thought was a really clever angle in the first several shows. There there are two wrestlers, uh, the Briscoe brothers. That's the newer Briscoe brothers, not the older Briscoe brothers. And Jay Briscoe was 18, and uh, he was a good wrestler, but he lost several matches in a row, the first few Ring of Honor shows. And his brother Mark was 17, and therefore could not wrestle in Pennsylvania. Uh, they were a tag team in many other places. And the way the gimmick went is that Jay would lose, and Mark would make fun of him for losing. And then when they announced that they were going to have a show in Delaware... Boston, actually, the Honor Invades Boston. Honor Invades Boston? Was when first. was the Delaware show? Later? Maybe later. I think Maybe the sixth later. Honor Ring of Honor show was Honor Invades Boston. I'm probably wrong. It's probably Honor Invades Boston. In any case, where they were going, they would let a 17-year-old wrestle, so Jay would be like, I oh, can't get my hands on you now, Mark, but I can get my hands on you at this show. And then they had a match. And then they became one of the most successful indie tag teams in history and still the top tag team in Ring of Honor. Oh, yeah. Um, And and just for context, to clear this up for me and for Mm -hmm. listeners who might not know, Philadelphia is where you move if you are trying to be a wrestler, right? You're trying to get into showbiz, you move to L.A. You're trying to get on to, you know, into finance, you move to New York. Tech, you move to... San Francisco or Seattle. If you want to be an asshole, you move to Boston. Uh, Philadelphia is where you move if you're going to be a wrestler. Uh, it's. I mean, I did it for a few years. It's definitely one of the best places to be. Since ECW, it has been the hub for independent uh, pro wrestling. And even before ECW, it was known as the place with the most hardcore wrestling fans. Yeah, and, and it's not as, uh, as localized anymore as it was several years ago uh, because the indie scene has grown and spread so heavily. But it's it's a good place to start. So Ring of Honor and TNA had this like pretty good working relationship where they shared talent for the first like couple of years of their existence. And then Rob Feinstein, the the uh, who was one of the owners of Ring of Honor and the guy who ran the video company that put out their uh, videos, was featured on To Catch a Predator. Uh, oh, like he helped catch a predator. That's no, awesome. No, That's, no, no, he was no, the predator. No. Oh, oh. A, a large early meme then, as much as memes were around in 2005, was the screenshot of him saying, lol, I'll pretend you said 18 at somebody who told him he was 14. And uh, yeah, he was on the show immediately. It's like he divested from Ring of Honor and uh, just saved the company. And TNA decided, well, I don't care if he divested from your company. You can't use any of our guys anymore, which was a huge blow to Ring of Honor. They couldn't use AJ Styles or Christopher Daniels, which were huge parts of their show. Um, Gabe Sapolsky, the guy that fully took over, however, was very sharp, immediately knew who to take and put directly into the top spots in Ring of Honor and Ring of Honor moved forward. And one of those guys was Samoa Joe. Yeah, man. Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, so we watched a match between Samoa Joe and um, Kobashi. Kenta Kobashi. Thank you. That match was more of a showcase for Kenta Kobashi. So I didn't really get you were really talking up Samoa Joe and I didn't really understand watching that match what the appeal was what his deal was really you know I didn't really get anything about him in that uh and now fucking totally get it man I totally get how first off he looks so disappointed in you (laughs) he's just he's just like what are you doing man oh you're better than this you decided to fight me. You know that's a bad decision. And, and it's what you're doing with your life. And he's he's a this, two he's a two hundred seventy pound guy who can fly like a cruiserweight. I love a graceful fat man. Yeah. It's great. He is just like he is yeah. And that when he came to prominence there were so few fat dudes in wrestling. Everyone had these freaking chiseled bodies. They all looked the same. And he, you know, to put it one way it looked like the fans 
I mean, yeah, absolutely. And, that, and they bought into him for that reason. And that's kind of the ultimate thing where it's like he looks kind of like just a schlub. And then he, uh, yeah, he is breathtakingly strong. He can, he is a graceful, like, oh, yeah. like both in terms of flying through the air and in just in, in his ground game. Yeah, like, his great technical wrestler uh, knew all the submission holds and chained them together in interesting ways. So TNA was always very nebulous about what the X division meant. And as they put it, uh, the X division isn't about weight limits, it's about no limits. And that's that's kind of a clunky phrase, but here's what they were getting at. Beforehand, there was like the cruiserweight division or the light heavyweight division that would usually have a weight cutoff. And everybody that did either high-flying stuff or super modern weird wrestling would have to be in that division. And TNA knew that some of the guys that were on those scenes of guys that were performing like that were just bigger than that, including Samoa Joe. So they said, there's no, there's no limit on this, but it's not the same wrestling that you'll see for the world title. Now there's problems with the X division that I'll get into in, in a little bit. Um, but yeah, so he was this incredible hybrid kind of wrestler yeah. that was, as you say, like the poster guy for the X division. But before that, before he could get into TNA, because there was this um, chasm between TNA and Ring of Honor for a while, he was the guy for Ring of Honor. He had this incredible title reign that was like two years long, um, just amazing matches, really kind of put the Ring of Honor title on the map and saved the Ring of Honor after this potentially fatal scandal uh, with the RF thing. Yeah, this was from 2003 to 2004, right before this. Ring of Honor decided they were going to hang their hat on Samoa Joe and hang a hat Samoa Joe did. And so, now jump to 2005, TNA finally decides that they're going to work with Ring of Honor talent again. And Samoa Joe is able to enter TNA and be the X Division guy. And so you finally get to have Joe, Styles, and Daniels all together in one match. And that brings us to this uh, three-way dance or triple threat, whatever you want to call it, at Unbreakable. Uh, traditionally, a three-way dance is an elimination match. Weren't they calling it a three-way dance, though? Or that, did they? They didn't use the term triple threat. They said three-way dance, and simply they were wrong. ECW specifically called theirs a three-way dance, specifically to differentiate it as an elimination. But match. is triple threat copyrighted by WWE? It might be. I don't know. That's a good question. And they're not just going to call it a three-way. I mean, they they called the league TNA. And that was Vince Russo's idea, apparently. Uh, was it? Uh, but I mean, TNA's, t- I guess TNA is still uh, explicitly straight, though, whereas if they say it's a three-way between three dudes, mm. uh, three gorgeous oh. men who are both forceful and graceful. That's that's all three of them. That's they for are, sure. They are tender, and they're and yeah, that would and the crowd just they don't want to they don't want to have to think about. No. what that might mean for them on a personal level. So a cool um, thing about this match is they each come in with their own sort of authority. Uh, Daniels is the champ. Uh, Joe is undefeated at this point. And Styles is the company ace. He had actually already been the NWA world champion a couple of times. He had already had three X division titles. So all three of them have their own stature coming into this match. Um, I definitely realize that i feel like wrestling shows go by about concert rules too where the best shows are going to be in front of crowds that are between 200 and a thousand people (laughs) ballpark because less than 200 depending on the venue uh less than 200 will you know might feel too empty especially the venue that this is at uh and more than a thousand is sort of impersonal and this seems like this crowd feels like the right size to be very connected to the action. And like the crowd, I mean, this crowd, like this crowd is fucking into it. The the TNA audience has traditionally been very, uh, very loyal and very excited up to a certain point, which, you know, happened years later. Uh, But yeah, you're right. You know, it takes a certain, it's not that crowds over that are bad, but you need to have the right performers to perform to, to crowds of that size. You know, like when you see the clips of like Live Aid and Queen comes on stage, they could have packed another 100,000 people in there, but you, know, you ain't Queen. <laughs> There's something about Madison Square Garden when the crowd is totally on fire. Yeah, that's, yeah. 
that's uh, effective. But in general, you're right. A good crowd of five or six or seven hundred people to a thousand people seems like a whole lot of people standing around a wrestling ring, and when they're on the same page, you can feel it. Now, how this? So this match must have been relatively choreographed. Like they pull, they pull some shit that is very, I, like very, very complex. I'd be very surprised if they didn't call almost all of the spots yeah. in the back in sequence and were calling them to each other the whole match. Okay. That's probably how that went. I, I don't know. It for feels sure, like that kind of match. Yeah, I, I was going to ask yeah. if you knew anything about it because it doesn't like there are maybe parts that could have been improvised, and I'm sure you know the whole thing is improvised in in a grand sense. But like there, there are there are a lot of really complex interesting things that not only do they do which like maybe if they had done them and like it looks like oh wow they really did this complex choreographed spot then that would be like i guess maybe they talked about it and didn't really but they there was some shit that they did that i was like they must have practiced that there were some amazing dazzling spots some that i've i don't think i've ever seen again uh for instance Joe monkey flipping uh, Christopher Daniels into AJ Styles Hurricane Rana. Oh, that was crazy. Like, maybe I've seen it again, but definitely not done that well. Not that crisp. And also, as you pointed out before, Evan, not in a way that feels real. That doesn't well, look yeah, choreographed. Th- that That's what makes me think that they had to have practiced it because the fact that like they did share was like oh that looks like they're fighting and i just know intellectually that there's no way they could have pulled that off without heavy practice there's something that separates these guys from a lot of the like lower level guys that practice this style they do the spot where aj and daniels are on the floor and then joe comes off the ropes to dive onto them now first of all joe's dive was spectacular he dove over the top rope and did a full twist especially for a guy his size like these days he'll do the through the ropes punching you dive which is fine uh but daniels and styles didn't just stand there looking up waiting to catch joe they're punching each other and they they, they're still safe enough to catch joe properly but they don't turn to look at joe until the very last second where it's plausible that they won't get out of the way because they're occupied punching each other whereas on the indies a lot of the time you'll see big piles ups of five or six or eight guys just standing there not fighting waiting for the next person to jump on them and then when the person jumps none of them catch him and the guy splats on the floor and then everyone bumps and it's terrible Yeah, and one thing that's great about this match, too, is there aren't that many great triple threat or, like, three-man matches in history because most of them follow a really boring formula where, like, they all start out together, but then very quickly one of them takes a powder, gets knocked out of the ring, and then two of them fight, and then another guy gets knocked out, and the other guy comes back in, and then two of them fight, and there's almost only two guys in the ring for most of the match. In this match, that there's... They're almost always all three of them doing something at every moment. That's why, you know, my next question was going to be how many how many three way matches have there been? Because this to me seems like it solves a lot of the problems I have with wrestling because it was always interesting. There were always moments where two or three of them were in conflict and it was like visually interesting the pacing was good that was the, like and the pay, like one guy could drop out for a while and that would help bring the bring the dynamic down and then it could come back up and it just seemed like i mean obviously a match between like three schmucks wouldn't be enjoyable because that wouldn't be you know for a lot of reasons but, but like also if you saw a match like this every week you'd get sick of it pretty fast it total nonstop action only works in fairly small doses this okay i don't know though because i'm not saying like a match exactly the same but if it was a match that was the same in terms of like keeping my interest and having a dynamic range and ups and downs then yeah absolutely that should happen every week sure but there's only so many like innovative spots you can put together and there's only you know like that particular rhythm is one really good compelling rhythm you there aren't that many ways that you can do that i but i guess it doesn't even necessarily have to be like i mean i get like the complicated three person inter like interlocking spots like that was certainly impressive and and part of what yeah, yeah. really interested me in this match but it it wasn't it wasn't just that it wasn't just the technical feats of the three of them working together. It was the fact that the three of them were able to work together in a way where it exponentially 
made the match more interesting. It it cubed the match. Well, that's, right? that's another reason why it can't happen all the time because not everybody has the chemistry that these guys have together. Yeah, you know that's uh, the reason that thing something's great. It's because it's so much better than everything else, and this match is truly great. I'm, I'm having the same reaction, basically, that I had to Eddie and Ray, where, like, when I finally see some wrestling that I that I love, that I'm like, holy shit, this is it, this is awesome, it makes me really upset at all of the other <laughs> mediocre wrestling that I've had to watch. Yeah, no, I mean, that's true. And <laughs> totally unfor- yeah, unfortunately, there are only so many guys like that, and yeah. if you think about the bumps that they're taking... Like, they can only take bumps like that for so long. That's something that I didn't think about as much when I was younger. (laughs) And now that I am, you know, breaking down to some degree as an adult, it's like, oh, no. Like, and, and you see, like, between this match and the other match we watched, in those four years, Samoa Joe slowed down a lot. He had to. Yeah. I, I was gonna say, I, I had a realization during this um because it like around like minute 23 yeah they look so tired <laughs> they are so yeah. drained and there's still another five minutes in the match at that point and i had this thought of like you know i don't know so like i've been i've been on i've been uh, working out regularly um for a longer period of time than i ever have had in my life before and like you know i don't know kind of getting I don't know if good at it is the right term, but I'm like doing it more frequently. My form is getting better, that kind of stuff. And I definitely like if I do a bunch of sets of kettlebell swings in a row, like they're, you know, I start, it starts to degrade at a certain point. It starts to, you get, you just, you get tired. Yeah. It's like at the end of the set or, um, and, um, and then your form starts to go. And then that's like, that's especially bad with like ballistic stuff. So like, I'll like, you know, tweak, I tweaked my back once when I started doing all this. Um, that is much less dangerous than this, than wrestling. And I realized that like the really spectacular, a lot of spectacular stuff has to happen at the end of the match when you are the (laughs) most tired, the most likely to have shit form, the most likely to fuck it up. And I just never really put it together how much of a risk that is. This is why I'm always impressed when people can have a good match without doing that much. I always mention it when that, like I say, look at, you know, look at the rock. He doesn't actually do that much in the ring, but he always looks like he's moving all the time. Uh, because like I've, I've been, I've been in there and it really does take that toll on your body every match. Um, and you can get over to any given crowd by going a million miles an hour. And if you're a good wrestler on top of that, you'll have the best matches, you know, that anybody has ever seen, but you can't do it all the time. If you do it all the time, you're going to, you're going to kill yourself. It is crazy though that like, you know, especially in the classic uh, WWE style match where the baby face makes a comeback at the end, they have to look like they have more energy than they did at the beginning of the match at the end of the match. But I also remember when we first started going to ring of honor shows, doc, Mm -hmm. what impressed us a lot about the style of matches that they had in ring of honor was that we believed by the end that they were so exhausted (laughs) that the match ended. Like it had a sort of realism to it in the sense that, yeah, after taking all of those moves, you're going to stay down. Yeah, that's true. As opposed to big boot leg drop, you know? Right. So I, I also like there was some comedy in this match. At like the very beginning, oh the the kicking spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Joe kicks Daniels, and then AJ's like, "That's not how you do it. This is how you do it." And he kicks Daniels, and then Daniels is like, "Stop kicking me!" And then they both oh. kick him at the same time. Yeah. I want to point out that he stole that spot wholesale from Daniel Bryan. That's right. <laughs> uh, Daniels has, I mean, overall he seems like a great performer, but oh, yeah. um, at the end of this match when he loses. His reaction is operatic because he legit falls to his knees and shakes his fists at God, (laughs) screaming, no, he has a degree in theater. And then, oh, you know? all right, there yeah. we go. Yep. Doc, am I wrong in thinking that that spot actually first happened in the <sighs> inaugural Ring of Honor main event between Loki, Brian Danielson, and Christopher Daniels? Oh, they did it to Christopher Daniels. So it might have been his spot. <laughs> might have been his spot. Well, uh, Brian Danielson would do the that's not how you do it spot in subsequent matches with a variety of holds to put over. The wide variety of stuff that he knew. Right. Yeah. Um, that is also one of the like half dozen great 
three person matches in history. Uh, the the first Ring of Honor main event between Dan- Brian Danielson, who would become Daniel Bryan. Okay, I'm, low I'm glad key, you cleared that up. Yeah, low key, who sh- we should watch a bunch of at some point, and Mr. Daniels. Uh, at we're gonna put the link to this video in the description of the episode, and if you watch it. Go to 20 minutes and 20 seconds, and there is a woman whose facial expression really sums up how awesome this match is. Because there's just a brief shot of a woman in the audience who, like, just can't handle how awesome this is. (laughs) I also want to point out um, the announce team is Mike Tanay, who we've already talked about, and Don West. Evan, do you know anything about Don West? That name sounds kind of familiar. Okay, so before he became an announcer for TNA, and he was actually a manager for a while. He managed The Amazing Red uh, in TNA. But before that, he was on the Home Shopping Network, the like um, uh, a- public access advertisement okay. thing on, on network TV, hawking baseball cards. And he would give these impassioned pitches for you to buy these sets of baseball cards as if it was the most obviously clear decision you would ever make in your entire life to get these goddamn baseball cards. He was absolutely incredible. I completely understand why they hired him to announce wrestling. Yeah, he he was way over the top all the time. I mean, I liked him because he was different, but like he became a bit much a bit fast. Yeah. That um, all right. I, I will have to go find some old Don Don West ads. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know who else would make an incredible wrestling announcer? Matthew Lesko. The this guy, the guy who helps you get free money from the government. Oh sure, yeah. That's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. free money it's to pay your bills. Thing. Dress like yeah. a dress like yeah. a Batman villain. He and really is. More I, infomercial guys yeah. should go into wrestling commentary. I bet he's in Maybe. jail now, probably. <laughs> um, um, a I'm couple more things. Um, uh, Daniels and Styles, besides being incredibly athletic, really show off their strength in this match. They're both able to lift Joe and, and slam him in yeah, various Styles ways. Styles puts Joe in the torture act. Right. And, like, racks him the torture <laughs> Before uh, spinning him into a powerbomb. Yeah. Around. It seems like it checks all the boxes. Like these three guys are good at all of the different parts of wrestling yeah. and they work well with each other and they're good at sharing the spotlight and taking it when necessary. Right, right. All um, very professional. Even though the ring is too better than other rings, it looks kind of small and intimate. Um, I'm not sure in terms of uh, square overall footage. square yeah. footage. I'm not really sure. Um, the finish of the match is cool in that AJ Styles reverses uh, Christopher Daniels' Angel's Wings finisher just into a flash pin. And so he wins and becomes five-time X Division champion, but you still get the feeling that any one of them could have won the match, which left it open for rematches. And Joe wasn't defeated himself. Right. So he could continue to say nobody's ever beaten him. Um, but yeah, at some point, maybe maybe in the premium episode that complements this one, we'll watch some more awesome three person matches. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. Uh, okay, I, I was we were gonna give you more TNA crap, and maybe and maybe the Joe versus Angle um, cage match, which is was the first time that I saw a match where they were really trying to make it look like a real MMA fight. Uh, but anyway, we'll we can watch we'll, all that shit. We'll see what we got. Yeah. Now, today's bad match. Oh, this one made me angry. I got, yeah, I got to say, I... I, Wait, let me say what it is. Okay. This is four years later at TNA Slammiversary 2009. It is the main event King of the Mountain match for the TNA world title. This was one of many King of the Mountain matches they had done. It was Jeff Jarrett's signature match because Jeff Jarrett, like many other wrestling promoters, as we've talked about, made himself the champion of TNA quite a bit at its, (laughs) at the beginning. This was past that point. This, at this point, he wasn't really hadn't been the champion in a while, but there that was last still time, always that last time he won the title in the King of the Mountain matches. I remember, oh. I remember watching it, and that Earl Hebner pushes the ladder over, and Jarrett said, "We we we were all watching on on the pay per view, and we all thought 
he's not going to win the title again, is he? And then as he starts climbing, he's going to win the title again. That was the moment I finally became a fan of Jeff Jarrett. Because <laughs> I got I'm like, no, no, if you're going all the way with this, more power to you. And it's like, oh, he shouldn't do that. The fans were so angry they were throwing things. He, he had something going on there. Was, was that when they gave it to Rhino for a minute? I think it was well after that. Um, I could be wrong. Okay. Um, so it's the King of the Mountain match. Let, let me just talk about the rules for yeah. a minute. It's oh, just ridiculous it's... creation, uh, convoluted mess. So you, so there's five guys in the match. In order to qualify to win the match, you have to pin or submit someone. Once you pin or or submit someone, then you are qualified to take the belt, climb the ladder, and hang the ladder atop hang the, the belt hang the belt uh high on the like ring hanging from the ceiling so the, tna loves to do these reverse things reverse battle royal this is a like a reverse ladder match instead of taking the belt down you're hanging it up but you know y- you tell me that and i think professor abelson this isn't complicated enough Oh yeah, right. This so is, they need is there anything they can do to complicate this further? So when you pin someone or submit them, they must go into a penalty box for two minutes where they, they're out of the match for those two minutes where they can rest from getting beaten. <laughs> right. I guess. Which Well they can't win the title while they, they're in there or sure, stop you. But they were just beaten by you know, they were just taken out by a finishing move, so they probably couldn't do that for a minute anyway, right? Mick, I guess. Mick Foley sort of takes advantage of this during the match. A- anyway, we'll get to that. Evan, tell us what you thought. Okay, well, so all of that, there's all of that, right? And that all seems complicated, and maybe it would be interesting. Maybe it wouldn't. But before you get to any of that, you, okay... So let me, uh, let, 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 Ben sends me the fucking, the two parts of the video. So yeah, let me tell the listeners. Uh, so if you look this match up online, there's, it's in five parts on YouTube, but the third part is missing. It's in two parts on daily motion. There's still a gap uh, in between the two parts yeah, and we'll, sure. we'll fill that gap in for you. But um, the first of these two 20 minute videos. Oh, okay. So, so, so he sends me the two videos. And I'm fucking I'm up at five this morning to, to catch up on all the wrestling before I go to my job uh, that I don't care for because this is the life that I've built for myself. And I'm looking at the videos and I'm just like, OK, so it's two 20 minute videos. They total like 39 minutes and 48 seconds or something. So let's let's watch them. Let's watch them up. And Ben had said something in passing that I didn't really note at the time which was just like oh you know there's like a long intro you don't have to watch it and i thought no you know i'm here i'm 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 getting the wrestling experience i'm watching it as a fan i'll watch the whole thing um so these the the guys involved in this match are all known wrestlers they're all i was even confused at first i was like is the wwe not an exclusive contract like these are all some pretty well-known guys this is part of the real problem with tna and they are so enamored of these men. So wait, the, the guys in the match are Kurt Angle, who we've covered in this on this podcast before, yes. the aforementioned Jeff Jarrett, Mick Foley, the great Mick Foley, who was for some reason the TNA champion at this time, despite the fact that he was well past his prime, broken, could seem like he had trouble walking. retired, with the exception of a few comeback matches at this point. For 10 years. And then AJ Styles, still great in the prime of his career. And Samoa Joe, who was a shell of the Samoa Joe from the match four years previous. They had Samoaned him up a whole bunch for some reason. He was kind of out of shape and slow. Just to be clear, that means that he had a big face tattoo. Big face tattoo and like tribe, like pants with like tribal designs on them. And... They, I don't. There was. He was calling himself the Nation of Violence. I, oh, that feels racist. It, it, the yeah. whole also, thing. He had three broken fingers. They say at the <laughs> beginning, and he comes on. He's his whole hand is wrapped up in the cast. I'm like, what? The f- don't wrestle with broken fingers. But, so what? they had jerked Joe around. 
those four years so badly. Like he got the title eventually after a long time of working towards it. Okay, wait. I, I need to talk about this first because I mentioned it earlier. The X division, the problem with the X division and the problem with any of these like divisions in pro wrestling is it marginalizes people. You're part of the X division, so you're not part of like the world title division. And in TNA, the X division was so much fucking better than the normal. <laughs> the normal division was Jeff Jarrett and like, Ron the Truth Killings, who became our truth, and like whoever and his like and Abyss and whoever this like challenger of the week was or whatever, none of that was very interesting. I mean, Truth was cool in and of himself. Abyss was all right. But the X Division was where all the action was, especially when Joe came in. And it took forever for Joe to like transcend the X Division and finally get into the heavy the heavyweights or whatever you want to call it, the the main world title hunt. Finally wins the world title. They sign Kurt Angle and they're like, all right, awesome. Kurt Angle versus Samoa Joe. And then Angle just proceeds to beat Joe over and over again. So they built this great star that everyone was excited about. And then they just jobbed him out to the guy from WWE who they had hired. And then they did that over. They just kept hiring guys from WWE and putting them over all their homegrown talent. Well, yeah, you can tell that they are overly enamored of their WWE stars because they introduce them, right? And so every all five guys in this match get a full video package. In the middle of their entrance. In the middle of their entrance. Their yeah. entrance already takes a long time. So this starts, and ten minutes in, I'm like, we have seen... Two introductions. <laughs> I'm getting concerned. Oh, boy. At 15 minutes, they are finally all in the ring. And then the announcer comes in and starts with the weighing in at 280 pounds. Like they're good. Now they're doing fucking in ring intros for all the guys who each just got three minutes of introductions. <laughs> each who everybody watching this. Knows who these men are. They bought the pay-per-view. And 18 minutes and 25 seconds is when the wrestling starts. And that's not even the start of the actual match. There's like a pre-match thing with Samoa Joe jumping Kurt Angle. Right, right. Joe jumps Kurt Angle. So it's in a a fucking 39-minute video. Let's Let's say we're missing five minutes out of it. Okay, so in a 44-minute video, 18 and a half minutes are the credits. If you made a movie and you asked me to come see your movie and your movie was 90 minutes long and the first half an hour of the movie was just the credits introducing the characters, I would legally be allowed to steal your life. Like I would legally be allowed to murder you and then take over as you and have all of your things. <laughs> that's the law. That's this in is, that's in the constitution. This is the second uh law that Evan has introduced tonight. <laughs> Evan is the law. You'll hear the other one or you will have heard the other one on one of our premium episodes if you had given us $5 a month and are continuing to do so on Patreon, yes. Um yeah, no, I I warned you. you really really did you really did but i'm also glad that you went through that because you experienced what it was like to be a viewer of tna but i actually i don't think i watched this match live i think by this point i I was done with tna well and i will say by the end of the credits i was done with tna and then there was more wrestling to watch and i will be honest I did. I fucking did not really watch this match. I like skipped ahead. I fucking didn't. I didn't give a shit. Neither, because- neither did Samoa Joe. You can see because <laughs> Samoa Joe now, ten years later, is in way better shape, way more motivated, has way better matches than he had at this point. So if we get into the match itself, like the match itself is just garbage. It's the worst possible version of all of these oh, incredible it's so, wrestlers. It's but so convoluted. It's like Mick Foley's there. Mick Foley, and I love Mick Foley. He was my favorite wrestler when I was a teenager and in my 20s. His promos were 
brilliant. He had great matches with all these guys and his character work and his charity work is great. He couldn't throw a punch without falling over in this match. He, there was, why was he TNA world champion? He said himself he didn't know why he was TNA world champion. He eventually left TNA because they asked that he was, I don't know if he like resigned. Uh, it was a mutual thing because he started just openly mocking them on Twitter and how poorly they were drawing while he was still in TNA. And they were like, maybe you should leave. And he's like, maybe I should leave you idiots. And he left. <laughs> he did do the one big cactus elbow off the penalty box. Uh, yeah, he did. Um, he probably why? really suffered for that for he a while doing, afterwards. He was so physically broken. He was almost as physically broken as Kurt Angle, who, couldn't move his neck in any direction at any point during this match and should have retired years before this. One other thing I wanted to say about the entrances, the TNA voiceover guy is just like a little too much. He's just like a little <laughs> too heavy on the pathos. And he definitely mispronounces at least two words during the intros. He says that AJ Styles is uncomparable. <laughs> or, or uncomparable. Uncomparable. And he says that Kurt Angle is Arguably the greatest wrestler of all time. I had to point that out. Oh, man. Um, um, so, yeah. So, back to the match. So, so Joe puts on a... Um, what fucking jersey is it? I don't care about hockey. Angle, is co Angle comes to the ring wearing a Pittsburgh Penguins hockey jersey to anger the Detroit crowd. Uh, so, that's Joe or a... A, a, a Red a Wings. Red Wings so, so, Bright red Red Wings shirt, yeah. So, Joe... And the crowd, like... I mean, I think the TNA fans were still kind of behind Joe, but the crowd isn't that hot for him, maybe because they like just know that he's not going to fucking win. But the whole story leading up into this match is he's been taking out the main event mafia members one by one. And the main event mafia is this collection of ex-WWE guys who were just on top all the time. Oh, and Sting. And Sting. So Kevin Nash, Booker T, well, ex-WWF and WCW guys. Right. Kevin Nash, Booker T, Scott Steiner, Sting, and Kurt Angle. So uh, Joe's been taking them out one by one, leading to this match where he's finally going to get his hands on Angle and finally going to get a shot at the title. So at the beginning of the match, he jumps Angle before the bell and then is penalized for that by getting put in the penalty box and Angle is now qualified to be the champion. By the way, as far as I know, this is not a rule that was ever established. What, the... the, the qualifications the qualification um, because someone jumped you for before oh no the bell. no of course not why would something that happens not in the match affect the match right and 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 also why would they penalize all the other guys by having kurt angle qualify just for something that joe did because the people writing tna didn't know what the hell they were doing so joe should have had no reason to think that this would have been the result of his action no even though at the end of the match, when he finally gets uh, gets up there and instead of taking the belt for himself, hands it to Kurt Angle, thereby joining the main event mafia, and Don West is like, oh, they planned this from the beginning. This is why Joe jumped Angle at the beginning. It doesn't make any goddamn fucking sense. And, and in pure TNA fashion, they over-explain it to you so that you think about it enough to realize it doesn't make any sense. The... Uh, the moment itself when Joe just sort of gets a big smile on his face and hands the belt to Jeff Jarrett, that's pretty great. That's to Angle. Angle, sorry. Yeah. Um, no, I, my brain's he's, fucking Joe's a pretty good actor, right? Like yeah, they, so Angle. they performed, and despite the fact that I don't think Joe really cared that much, he still did his job as well as he could possibly do it. He, uh, I'm, you know, hopefully he has a long and fruitful career as a wrestler, but man... Samoa Joe should be playing goons in movies. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! What he should be playing like a head goon. He is a mini yeah. boss. Right. He's not the Bond villain. He's the guy the Bond villain sends to beat the crap out yeah. of Bond midway through the movie. So okay. So what happens in the break that we don't see in these Daily Motion videos is at the beginning of the match, Mick Foley decides like he doesn't really care, and he lays down for Jeff Jarrett so that he can be put in the penalty box. So I guess he can like wait out two minutes of the match and then he gets right back in the ring after he leaves the penalty box and Samoa Joe chokes him out and puts him back in the penalty box. And it's like, oh, like he learned his lesson or so I, it sounds like it's good that I didn't really pay attention to the rest of the match because I might have I might have been too angry to leave my home today. I might have not. I might have been like, guys, we can't we can't do it. 
because I pulled my knees. I I pulled my knee muscles, <laughs> kick, <laughs> kicking furiously into the air in a rage. There are some like kind of impressive ladder spots, but they're more impressive in the fact that it's like, ow, that yeah. looks like it hurt. Oh, there's a really point, bad. There's a point where Joe lands on a ladder, yeah. and oh, like man. actually really damages the la- the ladder. They pull the ladder away, and there's yeah. a big Joe shaped curve in the ladder, and I'm like, oh god, that's and he like. He really looks like there's a brief shot of his face where I feel like I can see him question his career. It's just like, he's like, you know, yeah. stuff like that, maybe I shouldn't be doing The latter that. almost kills AJ once, like accidentally falling almost right on his head because yeah. it like bounces back from whatever spot they were trying to do before that. Uh, uh, yeah, this really, it's, a, I, I don't think, this has probably been the biggest like whiplash match doubleheader for me where yeah. i've just like i just i don't think i've gone quite from like oh man like this is fucking awesome to i feel insulted and upset that's what tna was like yeah that's I, completely that's that's the story of tna over the years in a nutshell i've talked about the wwe being and being a fan of the wwe being in an abusive being in an abusive relationship it was way worse with tna and that's why you know i only watched TNA regularly for about two or three years, which I know, I guess that already sounds a little bit long, but for a wrestling fan, that's, you know, uh, not being particularly loyal. There's people who still watch TNA. Well, I, I mean, mean, they're actually a little bit better now. They're not called TNA they're, anymore. They're a completely different company now, you know, uh, impact wrestling as it's called people that watch it seem to really like it. Um, they're, they're apparently, uh, going to, pushing uh, Tessa Blanchard to the the top oh, spot. Oh, she's great. You know, she is. This is going to be broadcast a couple of months after we record it. Maybe by now they will have given her her main title match. I don't know. They're the only company with TV doing intergender matches, I think. Um, with, like, real TV. Yes, I believe you're right. They're, they are the only. And they just got That's a better cool. TV deal after consistency for a couple of... Uh, but like you know, if if you're if you're in a, if you're in like an abusive relationship, you might be happy to find out that your abuser is doing better. That doesn't mean you gotta go back to them. Right. Yeah. Um, a couple more things. Uh, did you notice referee Mark Slick Johnson with the baldy head? No. The, they call that no, his name not. is Slick Johnson. That's kind of funny, and he looks kind of like a penis. So yeah, like a penis. Um, and I, Slick you know Johnson. what. I don't care for yeah, him. Yeah. I hope I hope his life didn't work out. <laughs> um, AJ Styles coming into this match is the TNA Legends champion. So uh, they created a title. They had so many old guys that they created a title for the old guys, and they put it on AJ Styles. What? Meanwhile, Jeff Jarrett or Mick Foley and fucking Kurt Angle are trading the actual world title. Like what the fuck, TNA? <laughs> I, there, there's no love. See, when this kind of stuff happens in the WWE, there's usually a lot more context. There's it's a lot easier to play devil's advocate and be like, "Well, this happened and that happened." It's just not the case in TNA. TNA is just like it, it's it's this the shambling corpse of WCW, just in a, with all the zombie. Really, it's because the people who run it just had as much money as they needed to run it until they gave it up. And it's getting better now that it's just owned by a company that actually expects it well, to do well instead of like just a vanity I'm, project. I mean, it really, it seems like it's just... It seems like it's probably reliably the fifth or sixth best thing to do in Orlando on a Thursday. Yeah. And then somebody just that's fucking, where they get their crowds, and yeah. then somebody just put, put it in a TV show and that's the bad idea. Yeah. Like that's, that's the thing. It's not a good TV show. It's great for local Orlando wrestling fans to go watch. Like, Oh, Hey, fucking Mick Foley's sure. here tonight. It, it like, was even more hateful just because, or hateable because it occupied this space as the number two wrestling company in the world that just kind of kept anyone else from really trying to compete with the WWE. Meanwhile, so we talked about the first time they pulled their talent from Ring of Honor. They did that later on, too, when Ring of Honor started to have TV. And they, you know, we would just we lost Samoa Joe from yeah. Ring of Honor, where they were still booking him effectively and well. Right, <laughs> he was still having good matches with people we cared about, and uh, winning or losing based on logic. And, uh, and you know, the WWE guys weren't just coming in and beating him. And then they got so they would. 
it seems like Dixie Carter, the woman who owned TNA for the most the of, bulk its of its existence, yes. was just the biggest fucking mark in the history of wrestling. Just one charlatan after another, whether it was Jarrett or Vince Russo or Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan, who they put in charge for a while and gave a show on TV and they just fucking... They put their friends on top. They, you know, got, signed huge contracts, you know, oozed money out of the company and then just left. Dixie Carter allowed all of these guys, Jeff Jarrett, Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan to exploit her by telling her that they had really good ideas for their her wrestling product when they were really just trying to drain as much money out of it, get big contracts for their friends and then leave, leaving it a rotting husk. It, it worked for them until they left. Damn. That, uh, that is, that's a tragedy. That sounds like a real, and they, they were just in the way being the number two company for all that time because nothing else could really grow and get to it because well, they were giving all this money to the, all the good talent to do nothing it also it feels like they were maybe i'm wrong but it feels like they were the number two wrestling company the same way that like the libertarian party is the third biggest political party in america we're like yeah that's technically true but there's a drop-off that you're not really explaining yeah like well at the in the mid-2000s uh monday night raw would get like a 4.0 rating on television and TNA Impact would do like a point nine. I mean, that's something. Hey, these but days, when when it came to pay per view buys, and uh, you know, if you this is all just the numbers, you know, the WWE was getting about two hundred thousand buys for their pay per views, which is about five percent conversion. I'm um, just math off the top of my head. Uh, TNA was doing about twenty thousand pay per view buys which is a much smaller percentage of what they are getting. Mm. So they were getting a television prod, uh, uh, audience that wasn't that interested in the product, um, which tells you a lot about just how they did it. As soon as, you know, they, they just got worse TV deal after worse TV deal, and they didn't have loyal fans yeah. because they didn't give their fans any reason to be loyal. Well, I am happy that we're on this trend of doing stuff that is more accessible for people and stuff that you can find on the <laughs> accessible internet. in one sense. Uh, yeah. Accessible just in the, f in the sense that uh, you can find it on the internet and not have to pay for it or download a torrent or anything. Um, I don't even know if the kids still torrent. And it's important to, uh, I think for people to realize that there's wrestling other than the WWE. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we're, and we're trying to branch out more with that. This uh, was a lot more of a mixed bag than like New Japan or something like that. But uh, New Japan at the time, by the way, decided, hey, uh, let's do a style that nobody's going to like in business. will go down the drain. And then they did that for most of the 2000s uh, when they were like, we want to do like a realistic mixed martial arts style, which doesn't work the way they wanted it to. They came back uh, because the people that run them know what they're doing. <laughs> and sometimes something fails and then you turn it around. Somebody really should have said something at that business meeting, though, where it's just like, I don't think we should do a bad thing that fails. And you then know. that first guy was like, no, uh, trust me, we're going to this is how we're going to do it. New Japan and TNA worked together several times during that. Oh, yeah, yeah. During They'd, that era. They would send uh, to New Japan sent like uh, Kazuchika Okada, possibly the greatest wrestler in the world, to TNA. And TNA made him a one uh, one note Asian guy joke and then sent it back. And uh, that was that. New, New Japan does not do business with TNA anymore. Oh, and then there was the whole Pac-Man Pac -Man Jones. Look, thing. we could go on and on about the yeah, foils. Okay, okay. Okay, I mean, speaking find... of making it rain, right? Uh, right Wasn't that yeah, him? That was definitely him. Um, so the thing about trying to find like a singular bad thing about TNA, it's like trying to find sand in the desert. It's like, what's sand? You know, this one, that one, yeah, there's so much. You know, we could go on and on about, and it would, if it was just that bad, we would have dismissed it. The biggest problem is they had so much talent and so many of the guys that were in TNA were so good. And, but TNA just couldn't capitalize on, couldn't put the pieces together in a way that would effectively compete with the WWE, which is what we really wanted from them is to have a real alternative. It, and I would imagine that when they do hit, when great moments did happen in TNA, yeah. like the first match we watched, watched for today yeah 
it was because they got out of the way of their talent. Yes, very much so. They let their talent do their thing, have great matches, and put them in important spots on the card. And that's really, it seems like that is always where wrestling that is not the WWE, that's always where they're going to do well is because the WWE does not, Vince is not as interested in allowing for that level of freedom it's it's a combination of two things because you need to get out of the talent's way, but you also have to have one person who's in charge, who can, who says like who's gonna how it's gonna be. Part part of the other problem with TNA is was nobody knew who to listen to. You know, you would get all these ideas from all these different people. People would pitch ideas to all sorts of different people in production, and who knew what was eventually gonna yeah. show up on TV? No one did. Alrighty. Any last thoughts? We're done. Are we good? Uh, I don't want to talk about TNA okay. anymore. It's, it's making my head hurt. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully we have not made you hurt, dear listener, with all of this talk and all of the high-pitched getting upset that has happened in this episode. This has been Contesting Wrestling. Uh, I'm Evan Burke. You can follow me at Evan Burke, etc. That's Evan Burke, E-T-C, on Twitter and Instagram. You should follow us as a collective at co- at contesting wrestling's twitter at contesting w if you like what you hear you should check out our patreon and support us there where you can give us a buck a month and get episodes a couple weeks in advance or you can give us $5 a month get episodes 4 weeks in advance and get access to one premium episode a week minimum we'll probably have more as time goes on but uh yeah right now there's like five premium episodes up and we're building an archive get on board uh plugs uh yeah well my name is uh is as always doc diamond fire um you can find me at dr diamond fire it's at dr diamond fire um send me a message if you want to book me on your wrestling show i do commentary ring announcing i wrestle i do whatever you need and um, that's pretty much all I have to plug at this point in time, uh, Professor. I remain Dr. Ben Abelson. Follow me on Instagram and or Twitter at ScribeBen. Alrighty, this has been Contesting Wrestling. Thank you. <laughs>